Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Freedom of Species. We are dedicated to raising awareness about issues concerning animals. It includes animal advocacy, activism, protection, conservation and, importantly, appreciation. The program is broadcast from 3CR Studios in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, We stream live via the 3CR website and recent podcasts are available via 3CR and also the Freedom of Species websites. All podcasts are on iTunes. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Emma Townsend. The New South Wales government released the Kosciuszko National Park Draft Wild Horse Management Plan recently, which Brumby advocates say will manage the Brumby population to extinction. Today we play two conversations I had with Jill Pickering, President of the Australian Brumby Alliance, and Lynette Sutton, founder of Hoof's 2010 Brumby Rescue, about their objections to and frustrations around the plan. What becomes apparent is the celebrity status, visibility and size of the snowy Brumby makes it a good culprit for a lot of damage being done in the National Park by many other animals, including us humans. Underpinning the management uh, plan is we seem to be paralysed in an old school technique of environmental management, which is a cycle of looking at each species in dangerous isolation and not taking into account how their role is also positively affecting the ecology. So we invest in mass killing year after year, ignoring new science at our environmental peril. Lawrence Pope, Victorian Advocates for Animals. You know, it doesn't matter where I am, around Australia or across the globe, people ask me the same question. Why don't we have programs like 3CR's Freedom of Species? Why don't we have independent radio? Not radio that's a puppet of the millionaires and the billionaires, but radio that reflects the real concerns of people like you, the very salt of this great country, from Warrnambool to Wonthaggy, from Malakuta to Cootamundra, 3CR, they're kind of cats, they're for the bats, that's independent radio, that's freedom of species, not the enslavement of species, I said the freedom of species. You know what to do, donate to independent radio and warm your heart while you're cooling the planet. This is Lawrence Pope of Victorian Advocates for Animals and 3CR, wishing your species all the best. My name is Jill Pickering. Uh, I'm the president of the Australian Brumby Alliance, which 
stands for the more humane and sensible management of wild horses living in national parks in Australia. Jill, what is your response to the draft uh, management plan for horse management? Well, in short, I am horrified at them, at the plan proposing to cull the numbers from 6,000 to 600. The last wildfire that went through in 2003 killed 64% of all Brumbies and presumably countless other flora and fauna. Now, if that happens with 600, you're left with just over 200, and that is very close to non-genetically viable levels and Basically, they'll just disappear soon after that. They'll go extinct. So that's my biggest concern. How, and it also flies in the face of part of the review papers, which is a National Cultural Heritage Values Assessment, which concludes that the Brumbies in Kosciuszko do particularly have heritage value. So on the one hand, they're saying, yes, the Brumbies in Kosciuszko have heritage value because of their place and essential role in Australia's cultural history. And in the second breath, they're saying, but we want to lower them to 600. And if any are lost through fire or issues, they will, that number will not be allowed to build up again to 600, which means every time there's a fire and it kills more, there'll be none less. Uh, so that's probably my biggest anxiety about the plan at this stage, bearing in mind the New South Wales government has ruled out aerial culling. The other concern I do have is that the plan talks about ground-shooting free-roaming brumbies. And this also, the Australian Brumby Alliance has a major problem with because all the papers indicate that you've only got to just wound the horse and it'll take off and it'll move so quickly you can't catch up and then you've got a horse dying slowly from an, a, a bullet wound. So those are probably the main issues at this stage. And it's a very traumatic way of bringing down a population as well when you're oh, shooting incredible. into a, a mob. Yes, uh, particularly as they're... Uh, what's the word, aesthetic, they, they have family bonds, they care for each other, and they've survived all this time without human intervention. To just cut them down like that is just awful. The new draft plan includes ground shooting. Now, that in itself is an environmental issue that probably a lot of people don't think about is, you know, that, that's a large, even, even a 1,000 animals shot, the cost for that, they would have to bury them so they weren't an environmental issue. If they're going to shoot them, they're still going to have to trap them because shooting a, a free wild animal is a risk for a huge trauma. If it's not a fatal shot, then that animal risks escaping and a long and painful death. So they've put ground shooting back on the table as well as the trapping and um, rehoming all sent to abattoirs. We're talking about dead carcasses in the environment. It's not like they collect the carcasses. Is that... Correct? Well, my understanding is that they'll use ground shooting because of the remoteness and the accessibility. So I don't imagine that there's going to be mass burials. However, in some areas, I suppose that would be on the table that they would dig a big hole and 
put the carcasses in there. The concern for us is, you know, we we already learn that, you know, manure and, and tourism and, you know, artificial snow and everything contaminate waterways and what have you. And as Kosciuszko is one of the biggest water catchment areas in New South Wales, we need to consider, you know, in reality, all these dead wasting animals, Where what's going to happen as it leaches through the system. And I have been told that, you know, after a certain amount of distance, the leaching is, is not um, relevant, but you know, if you've ever seen where a carcass of a dead animal has fallen, the, the acids in the decaying carcass destroy every bit of vegetation underneath it and you end up with a large dark mark where that carcass once was. The other concern for us is shooting these animals. We already have a pig and a dog uh, problem and if you work out the birthing ratios of a horse has one offspring per 12 months and that can be um, biannual rather than annually, whereas a pig and a dog are multiple births, multiple times. So you're creating a food a food feast, I should say, sorry, that is going to see a population explosion in those animals that are destructive, mm-hmm. as horses are passive graziers, other than having hard hooves, and eating grasses, native grasses. That is their only really fault. That was Lynette Sutton, president of Hoofs 2010 Brumby Rescue We'll hear more from Lynette later. We'll go back to our chat with Jill Pickering, President of the Australian Brumby Alliance. We're discussing their objections to the Kosciuszko Brumby Horse Management Plan. Jill, do you know why they chose that number uh, to reduce them to 600? Is there a scientific basis for that? Basically, they're saying because, you know, their their regular mantra is they cause damage and impact on the corroboree frog and other endangered species, all of which we question. There's no real formula. And in fact, it is of interest that their independent technical review group specifically said, don't just focus on numbers, focus on levels of damage and bringing that the number of horses down to a, a reasonable, viable level for both the horses and the national park um, special places. So they've gone against their own independent technical reference group recommendations. Could you please explain that further? Part of the re- this review is a review commissioned by National Parks of New South Wales, and they called it the Independent Technical Reference Group. The report that this group came up with is stated clearly in several places that the final number should not be based as a single number, but should be slowly identified by gradually lowering the numbers to see what that did to the apparent damage levels. In other words, you remove a 1,000, has that made a difference? If yes, remove another 1,000, has that made a difference? Or is it now at a level where they can cope the environment can cope quite okay with it. Are they planning on reducing the population in a, in a short time frame? They say in the plan they want to reduce over five years to 3,000 and then over the next five years down to 600. Then they add or sooner. Now, experience will say that or sooner means as soon as they get the final okay, they will start hoeing into them as rapidly as possible 
and I could see the whole thing happening within about four years. Is there peer-review-educated science on the damage that the Brumbies are doing in that environment? There isn't, and this is one of the claims we often make. And it is of great interest that the National Resources Commission recently did a review of all pest management, which is what national parks should be doing. They shouldn't be just focusing on horses that are easily visible. And the National Resources Commission said that there are no peer-reviewed studies done to date, and this was a couple of months ago. So it basically this has been a long process. This has been like how many years of consultation, 10 years or so. There's no peer-reviewed science on the damage that's been caused by the Brumby. Well, supposedly. Yeah. See, the problem we have is that the pigs and goats and deer and rabbits and many other smaller-than-horse-shaped-sized animals cause incredible damage, and their numbers are significantly higher than horse numbers. And then they cause damage. But if a horse, one horse walks through where they've created all this damage, national parks come along and say, look, see, that's the evidence. There's a big horse print in the middle of that mess. And they conclude, therefore, horses have caused it, which is just so far from the reality. When you look at, when you enlarge photos and look at the prints, you can see a whole range of others, including tire wheels, foot, footprints. <laughs> so it really does need to be gone into by uh, a totally objective research program. Why hasn't that happened? Because national parks are convinced that they have all the answers on non-peer-reviewed, limited data and a high level of emotion driving what is probably a, 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 a very sincere group of rangers but in our view, they are no longer able to look objectively at this situation. It needs someone else to come in and do the assessment. A very tight green group, would that be correct to say? What, the national parks? Just wanting to eradicate as well, in... As they, in a... they are pushed by politicians. Politicians are pushed by the um, intense green culture of try and return everything to what it was 200 years ago which, as everyone knows, is impossible, and, and a culture of there is a pristine environment available once we remove everything that shouldn't be there. And again, that's not feasible. The parks staff themselves, of course, have grown up in that culture, and that's probably the very reason why they wanted to go into parks, because they wanted to help protect and preserve the parks, flora and fauna of indigenous flora and fauna. Look, it's really hard. I mean, we have good relationships with several park staff and it's it's just that we come from totally different perspectives. We argue our perspective is pushing for objective research, not emotive observations. They would probably say we're out of our tree. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess that they're just, um, we do have a culture of just killing, killing every year by you know, trapping, baiting, poisoning and, and just yeah, killing what we don't want to right. see in the that's environment. That's the way to, to mm. deal with it. 
I'm really looking forward to what the National Resources Commission come up with because they seem to have a much more rational, objective way at assessing all the issues in balance. And how but that won't be available for some months. Could that have an effect on this? Who knows? I, I would like to think it would slow the incredible focus on one species. And what gives you the impression that they do have a rational approach, Jill? I went to one of their feedback sessions uh, in Daniloquin and it was, it was so different from the feedback sessions of National Parks that they were genuinely looking for feedback and they genuinely said, oh, I hadn't thought of that or, oh, that's interesting or, well, no, we've gone through that and this, this is what we've based our decisions on. Whereas national parks will say, start off by saying horses cause damage and they're not indigenous and they shouldn't be there. However, do ask me a question on how, uh, on comments on the, on the draft plan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like the decision's already made. But that said, we're still putting in a very sound submission. We've got another just under, well, exactly four weeks today. So anyone listening who wants to put in a submission, please do so by the 19th of August because really it's down to people power now. Is there a link that you could give us where people would, individual submissions, they'd yes. be able um, to be on, on this, If you go to the Australian Brumby Alliance page, that will show you how to make a submission. Well, not, not what to say, but the process to go through to make a submission. Or they can go to the National Parks and Wildlife Service, Snowy Mountains page, and see how to put a submission in from there. Freedom of Species is a show about animals, for animals, listened to by humans. Tune in Sundays, 1pm. We'll now go back to our conversation with the President of the Australian Brumby Alliance, Jill Pickering. We've been chatting about the government's recently released draft management plan for Brumbies in the Kosciuszko National Park. Wild horses grow up in a family environment, family mob environment. They are very focused on protecting their family because they see survival in, in survival of their numbers. So they won't normally you know, inflict dangerous damage apart from stallions when they're fighting over mares. That the, the mares won't give dangerous kicks that could kill other mares in their mob because they'd rather they were there to help be the you know be the bulk of horses. I'm not explaining that very well. Safety in numbers is their rule, and they remember each of those horses in their mob. And if they are separated, they feel that loss just as a human would if they were suddenly removed from their family, particularly in traumatic conditions such as being um, herded into a, a room and one pulled out and sent off somewhere, never to see their family again. Um, it's, it's a really traumatic experience. And where, the horse, where this has been shown is where horses have been reunited after some period of time they, you know, they stand close to each other. They don't want to lose contact. And, and other sentient animals do as well. 
particularly elephants, they have a high degree of this. Um, you know, they want to stay close. It's like, oh, thank goodness I've seen you again. I've just been so worried, so lost. It's just fantastic to be here with you. So basically any amount of population reduction is going to be an extremely, obviously, traumatic experience for the horse mobs. And that includes passive trapping. Is that right, Jill? Well, it would include... um, The actual trapping is not traumatic for the mob because they're all together on, on our understanding. What is traumatic is if they are rushed into or shoved into the trap. But because of passive trapping, which national parks do incredibly well, they're just sort of in there thinking, oh, well, what's going on? Oh, but we're all together. Um, and also we would argue, and our uh, rehomers try where possible to truck those in family mobs, not individuals, for that reason. Once they have been trapped by national parks, they are sent to the abattoirs unless someone puts up their hand to rehome them. And we feel once they've been trapped, Instead of sending them to the abattoirs, which would be more traumatic, it's better to collect brumbies where possible in family mobs and gently introduce them to humans and a new way of life so that at least their way of life can be replaced by a more positive way. And and as they get more confident with humans, they tend to be separated more from their mobs but by then they've got alternatives, you know, because one person may buy one of the mares that have been gentled or a stallion that's been gelded, and obviously people take individual horses. Usually they don't take family mobs. On behalf of the the Australian Brumby Alliance, what would you like to see happen ideally if you're in charge with this issue? If I was in charge, I would like to say conceptually, okay, current numbers are 6,000. Let's follow the independent technical reference group recommendations to lower and assess impact levels until you reach an acceptable impact level. I would say let's start by reducing um, to to 4,000 and check whether that level is sustainable by the environment, by objective, peer-reviewed, non-national park staff because our position would be that if if the environment can still cope okay with that then they should be left at the 4000 is there do you have an opinion on with a lot of the uh, research that's been done on stabilizing dingo pack structures and that uh, could be a way of as a are an apex predator managing oh. if the Brumby population needs management. Yeah, I heard about that at the Natural National Resources Commission, um, and I thought that makes very good sense because although I'm sure being... Well, dingoes wouldn't attack a, a healthy adult horse, but they do attack foals recently born and kill and cart off um, because that's when they're most vulnerable. Um, but a pack could probably bring down a, an a sick adult horse or an injured one, one that's already injured. And my 
I'm not sure how much of the Australian Bromby Alliance I represent, so I probably should say my personal opinion is that this is a very natural way of natural selection, uh, and it means that it is literally getting rid of the weakest, as opposed to passive trapping, which takes the ones that just happen to walk into the trap. 3CR, radio that's independent, progressive and making a difference. There's a water contamination concern with the snowy brumbies. Do you have an opinion on that? Yes. Now, we've, we've done an information paper. People can go to the Australian Bromby Alliance and look at the resource information 3.8, titled Brumby Water Quality and Erosion Concerns. The main thing that sticks out to me is that there's an Ada Quinn in 1998 researched the potential risks of horse manure and concluded... The chemical constitutes of horse manure are not toxic to humans. Horse guts do not contain significant levels of two waterborne pathogens of greatest concerns to human risk, human health risk. Uh, I can't pronounce it. C-R-Y-P-O-T, sporidium, or guardia. Neither do they contain significant amounts of bacteria E. coli or salmonella. So that, that pretty much sews it up for us. Mm. The problem people have commenting on stream uh, manure in streams, which a horse doesn't usually do, they usually do it on, on the land, um, is that I think they just don't like the look of manure. But in, in fact, Ada Quinn explains, horse manure is considerably less uh, potential risk to humans than human manure is. And people that do claim to have had uh, a toxic reaction from water in the Kosciuszko National Park have probably polluted themselves by not, not um, washing, you know, by going to the loo too close to the water or by when they went to the loo not washing their hands properly afterwards and then eating some food. That's where the greatest contamination risk for a hiker would be. And also, I think that the pathogen that you referred to and spelt out for us is actually more found in the intestines of other animals. Yes, you're right. I forget now, I think pigs was one. So again, it's back to blaming the, the Brumby, the most visible, exactly. biggest, tricky one. You are on 3CR 855 AM and it is Freedom of Species, Animal Advocacy on the Airwaves. That was a tune by Wilco called Open Up Your Mind as hopefully our conversation with Jill Pickering before did today. As we talk about objections to the Kosciuszko Snowy Brumby Draft Management Plan or more aptly, it sounds like an eradication plan. Jill Pickering referred to much research, which has clearly stated if we allow our dingo wild pack, dog, uh, wild dog pack structures to re-stabilise as the apex predator, 
In national parks, they can actually look after and manage the many pest species problems we have now, 24 hours a day for free. And yes, that includes controlling cats, rabbits, foxes and pigs. And the evidence strongly suggests the Brumby populations could be managed as well, restoring the dingo apex predator. It has been well established killing the wild dogs is amplifying, exacerbating the wild dog issue that is very prevalent at the moment. For more information on restabilising the apex predator, the dingo, uh, in our environment, we have had Dr. Aaron Wallach, Ewan Ritchie and the Eureka Prize winning team for their research on the dingo uh, on Freedom of Species many times. Uh, podcasts are still available on our website and iTunes. My name's Lynette Sutton. I'm the president and one of the founders of Who's 2010 Brumby Rescue. I remember sitting in Stuart Cohen's office and taking a management plan and I was, you know, fairly new into the rescue world and I was starry-eyed and I spent time writing this management plan of how I thought we could do this without, you know, total eradication and, and you know, he, he stood there with his uh, JC sandals on and his shorts that he didn't even get dressed for the meeting which really blew me away because I had managed to present myself quite well in Parliament House in his office. And he basically said that it was the intention of the Greens to eradicate the wild horse population from the Australian environment. And that stuck in my mind, you know, the last five years. And that hence triggered off the, you know, starting to do environmental research and looking at why are other countries like Wales and Scotland going and getting conic ponies from different countries and taking them back to manage their wetlands. You know, where's the thought behind that? And it's not new over there. Conservation grazing is, you know, old hat. The horse is different than the cattle because the horse doesn't destroy seed indigestion where the cattle does. You know, it's just, it's crazy. Because our media is very limited, we're against a government policy. So there's, you know, certain restrictions of stations that won't support what we want to say. And, you know, there's so much that needs to be spoken about because most of the population aren't aware of the issues. You know, they, they hear feral pests. We need to control the feral pests to preserve our environment. Yet it doesn't matter if we, you know, we, we're going to extend on perisher or we're going to make fake snow so that it melts and goes into our waterways or whatever else. They guess that there's a population of 6,000. They want to reduce that to 600. Why? I suppose the environmental damage that they're accused of doing, they're not native, which is one of the oldest arguments. You know, we've dealt with for the last 10 years. So there's no new science that's um, peer-supported for the Brumbies to remain. We're a little bit behind uh, most other countries in the world where they're actually going and getting wild horses and returning them as environmental managers of areas that need some sort of preservation, some sort of maintenance. So it's a very old scientific-based study. It really, with all the other issues that are going on in the environment that really need addressing. I think the Brumbies are one that are the most emotive of all. Let's um, elaborate more on the environmental damage they've been accused of. Well, you know, the Brumbies are hard-hooved animals which are uh, not seen in the Australian environment uh, as natives, uh, which is a fact. They do create pudding, which is when they walk on soft soil. They make a hoof impression, which is usually, well, basically the shape of a pot plant. And they claim that that degrades 
creek banks, it trudges down vegetation. You know, they're supposed to wallow in the water, which they probably do like to swim in the hot weather, but then we have all these other environmental issues with animals that are not as emotive as the brumbies, such as pig wallowing, um, deer wallowing. Our wild dog issues at the moment, our native dingo are at risk of um, extinction. We have what we call hybrid dingoes and wild dogs that are much more destructive to our marsupials. So for us that are um, passionate about the brumbies, well, we understand that we need some form of management. We don't want them to get to these issues where it's eradication through death because that's basically what happens. Very few do make it to the rehoming trail. A lot get sent to the abattoir, is that right? And it's an abattoir for pet food, is that correct? To, to uh, depending on the size as to which abattoir. We only have two human consumption abattoirs in Australia that, that kill um, feral animals. We have Peterborough in South Australia and we also have Mary Mest in Caboolture. The animals that are slaughtered by those need to be of a certain weight and certain size and the meat is usually preferred by the European market to be from a younger animal. So for a Kosciuszko Brumby, their normal weight would be around the 250-300 kilos, but that would be as a mature animal. So um, it's sort of like we have so many that go for human consumption. The rest, depending on size, go for pet food and the smaller animals such as foals and so on, um, unboarded foals that are found when the, the mare slaughtered, go for fertiliser. So um, the numbers are absolutely striking. You know, we export a huge amount of tonnage of horse meat every year. We have already a problem in the domestic equine world with waste animals. So, we, you know, it's, it's sort of we're, we're stuck between a rock and a hard place. We want to see management, but we want to see management done that sees our horses uh, revered and... We plan them so that we don't have environmental issues but, however, bring them along into the future so that people all over the world can enjoy the fable in reality rather than in a storybook. And it can be done. It, you know, it's already costing the government huge amounts of money, something like half a million a year to trap 600 horses. So that half a million dollars a year could set up infrastructure. There are areas in Long Plain which would see management where local stockmen... Uh, national parks, vet science, all that could come together and have these working stations so that people are handling the issue continuously, not just a massive trapping eradication program so many months of the year. There is no reason that can't happen and that we can't follow other countries in the world where there's positive management that sees you know, environmental interests looked after, the animal looked after, for really for a positive future. Looking at strategies where, you know, youth can learn the Australian skills where we can incorporate um, the general public into the workings and managing, so traineeships for young men and women to learn to become Jillaroo Jackaroo, which is then taking care of pest control, weed control and animal management. So instead of doing a negative every single year, let's look at how we can do this positively, how we can pass on age-old skills and how we can manage both our horses and our environment you know, so that six years down the track, everything's looking brighter and everyone's happy and everyone's working on the same page rather than the nation that we've become of eradicate, eradicate, eradicate. And that's exactly what we're doing now. 3CR Community Radio is dedicated to exploring the issues that affect our future. Because I think it is something we just need to be talking about. (laughs) 
855am. Tune in and listen up. You are tuned in to Freedom of Species, animal advocacy on the airwaves. We are speaking with Lynette Sutton, the president of Hoofs 2010 Brumby Rescue. We've been chatting about the recent draft wild horse management plan for the Kosciuszko Brumbies. I asked Lynette about the benefits of the Brumbies in the environment, um, starting with their help in fire control. Well, we, you know, we, we all know that um, manicured lawns are sustainable. We know that we need to have, um, you know, some sort of management for, to get new growth. We know that weeds grow a lot faster than uh, desirable plants. We know how quickly grass fires can spread. Uh, as a volunteer with RFS, I can attest to that. So they're, they're conservation grazing, which rejuvenates the grasses. They're not um, eating everything that the parks or the government have you believe. They're very picky grazers, so they're not going and eating weeds. You know, they're not leaving the park and going out for a day, picking up some weeds, you know, digesting them and coming them back into the national park and passing. They're actually, if they are transporting any weeds, then it's actually weeds that are already there. They're the things that we aren't taking into consideration where they are across the world is the coleoptera and the um, bird life that utilise that manure that the horses pass because in the digestion of a horse it doesn't destroy the seed. So we have bird life that are always fossicking in the seed, you know, in the manure for seed and worms. We have beetles. We have other, um, you know, microbiology and so on that fit in that manure. Corroboree frogs have been found in the manure stacks collecting the heat that the manure generates. Mm. We have fertilisation. There is just so many things that we're not looking at in the bigger picture as to some of the benefits that these animals are bringing. Also, I must point out, they stop the need for us to use mechanical or chemical um, management in wetlands. So you can't go in and spray the weeds, yet you could utilise a hard-hoof animal to trudge down the non, the, you know, like the rushes and, and things like that that we see now are just taking over a lot of the areas because there is no grazing animals in there. They can actually eat those weeds and keep that in a stable condition. That's correct. They don't destroy the seed in their digestive system, so they can mm. actually, and in their capacity to cover large distances, they therefore are revegetating, you know, a lot of wanted vegetation as That's well. That's correct. That's correct, but you won't hear them say that. <laughs> you know, you won't hear them say that. But if you go through their own documentation, um, Office of Environment and Heritage released a weed survey around the actual resort areas in the Alpine. And what I found interesting was there was only two seeds that were actually transported inside the digestive system. The rest were carried on clothing, shoes, fur. So that could be fur of domestic, uh, of native animals as well. So it's like that there's a target on the Brumby and, and everything that's absolutely and positively wrong in the National Park is related to that Brumby, if you understand what I mean. And we're not looking at, well, okay, this works with this, works with this. And when the government funds a study, they basically say, look, go out and study this. Um, tell me about, you know, the damage the horses are making. So the person doing the study goes out. He might see six horses near a waterway and he might see six pigs near a waterway but he won't mention the pigs because that's not included in his study. He's not to comment on those. And, and you know, I actually heard the same statement said in a meeting I went to with the National Resource Commission not long ago where someone wanted to bring up the issue about kangaroos and the problems that they're causing. And 
the response from the um, the speaker at the meeting was, that's not on our agenda to discuss. So it just validated that perfect saying that I have heard so many times is, you know, a study is governed by what you actually speak about. You don't look at everything else. You just look at that one thing that it is there, you're there to study. Having brumbies in the environment, I mean, as you said, it's just a, a magical draw card, isn't it, tourism-wise as well, to to see them in the wild and to appreciate the the friends that they've been to humankind in the last 200 years, you know, and appreciate them for who they are. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, at our little sanctuary, we've had people of all walks of life from all parts of the world come and, and spend, and it bring, they bring together people. It's, it's the nostalgia, and, and when you go into the mountains, I mean, ski season for how long of the, you know, of the year, it's not all that long, yet the other week when we were camping up at Long Plain Gate, the cars that stopped, you know, 10, 13 cars pouring snow and they're all out of their cars looking at the Brumbies, you know, near the highway. It's what Australians, you know, it's what tourism's all about. Half of our tourists come here because we are the country of wild and free. You can see kangaroos, you can see wild horses, you know what I mean, in the environment. And, and so there's so much that we could make from these horses by leading sustainable herd sizes where they are and managing them ongoing. There's no reason why they, you know, mobs can't be brought in and the young taken when they're at old enough age for rehoming possibilities, stallions gelded. There are so many things that we can do yeah. to manage them positively rather than eradication, you know. already managing the Brumby population, you know, survival of the fittest. We revere them because they've managed without human intervention. Our dingo population, unfortunately, is on the decline because of the wild dog issue. So that issue is a very huge issue. And they are the only, you know, predatorial animal that we have in the national park. But we sort of need to deal with the destructive issues. I know the horses are stated as damaging the you know, the sensitive grass areas and riverbanks and what have you. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of things that are all working wrongly in the National Park, and that is our wild dog issues, our wild pig issues. You know, there are more intense things that we need to deal with to get some sort of management. And if they're saying that's what they want, they want to control it, they want to manage it for future generations, then we need to be more modern, we need to be more open, and we need to have integrity and honesty, which is something that has not happened in any management in that national park for a long time. You know, I, I've been doing research today, and it's, it's irrelevant, I suppose, to the horse issue, but I was researching on the manufacturing of snow. You know, what is there any chemicals used in that? And one of the chemicals that boasted on one of the, I won't say which one, but one of the big resorts in the national park uses a chemical that's been banned in the European companies to make snow. I mean, who knows that? The chemical's yeah. called Snowmax. The resort using it has over 30 snowmaking machines. Now, yeah. that chemical's been banned in European countries because it's a bacteria. I have to research further. But things like that, I mean, there are so many things wrong in, an, in that national park that the horses are one big, bold, 
in-your-face issue that is easily addressed and shows that the national parks are supposedly caring for the environment. But let's be honest here. Let's look at everything that's going on. Let's get some you know, some positive management and let's deal with all issues, not just flavour of the month, you know, sort of the wild horses. Well, we will always fight for the wild horses. We will never agree to eradication. We'll never agree to the negative management. We'll never agree to them just willy-nilly taking horses out without saying, well, you know, okay, we're going to leave you 600 horses, but whatever there is left, that's it. That's what you've got. When, you know, horse lovers and people who visit the National Park know that we have some damn good quality horses up there and we have some that aren't quite as good. But who's selecting who's going to slaughter? Because they all are. You know, there's no, there's nothing honest or, or sustainable about anything that's being done in that national park at this stage. When they are going to reduce the populations, yeah, how do they know which ones to take out of the population? They or don't even care. Shoot, I mean... They don't care. As I understand it, they have very much a social, you know, network horses. So, mm. yeah, which ones are you taking out? And and, exactly. and that's what I'm saying. You know, yeah. we've rescued over 115 wild horses. In those rescues that we've done, some of them are magnificent. Their, their confirmation, everything about them is, is desirable. And some are not so good, whether it be because they've, you know, done hard seasons or, you know, the genetic makeup isn't quite as strong as some. But when they do a removal, it, it's non-selective. So whatever goes into that trap, whether it be foal, mother, stallion, good quality, pretty colour, you know, good confirmation, bad confirmation, they all have the same ending. So if they leave us, you know, if they say they're going to leave us 600 horses in the environment, you can forget about it. You may as well, you know, they may as well take the 600 as well because what's going to be left is not viable. It's not a good enough population for the ecology anyway to leave 600. That's correct. Can you explain so you get, that? You, well, we have reasonable herd sizes and genetic viability. You take away, you know, you've got 6,000 horses, independent mobs, different um, genetic traits, you know, from some of the excellent horses, Suffolk Punch and the Timorese Pony and all those ponies that were bought into breed. So if you break up any sort of niche of things, you change the genetic reproduction of that. So things like inbreeding and, and you know, genetic faults and all that sort of stuff are going to happen. Okay, so you're taking away the robustness of having a large population Exactly. Literally the robust um, sustainability of that species, I guess. That's and they're, correct, They're yes. evolving. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. You know, it'd be like if we took out 6,000 koala bears and only left 600. The genetic viability of that then is... is, is um, compromised. Not sustainable. It's very much compromised, mm. yeah. I found it quite confronting watching wild brumbies being caught, you know, that the, the catching the wild animal even and the trapping and the then eventually maybe going to an abattoir. I think even the rehoming, even that in a sense, how do you feel about that taking the wild animal, you know, wild Brumby out? Would you still rather let them live in their wildness? Oh, look, I have very mixed emotions about it. I, I like the idea of them being saved and being showcased for the value that they are. However, you know, the passive trapping is probably the best option on the table. Any interference by man with any wild animal has a negative effect. It's the grade of that negative effect that we need to consider. If you're taking a pure wild horse out, well, if you're taking a wild horse, you know, out of his homeland, he has two personalities, our fight and flight. So if his first experience with man is one where he needs to fight, 
it's not going to be a great outcome. If it can be done passively, in other words, there's time put into transforming that animal from once not having fences, from not having steel yards, from not having, you know, restrictions, then he will adapt. But this is where I, I talk about, you know, working stations in national parks, in non-environmental sensitive areas, where the work that's done before they go through that traumatic transport on a truck, you know, if they're going to be rehomed, then let's get some handling done before they have to face, you know, a gruelling trip of eight hours or six hours or wherever the rescue is that they're going. Let's get some of that done by experienced horsemen. It's creating employment. It's creating a value. And at the moment, the animals have the value of feral pests, not heritage horse as they should, you know. And, and so it's, it's not the ideal outcome, but it is the best of every option that we have. And unfortunately, we, we don't have a choice. We either, you know, rescue few or we just turn our backs and allow them to be eradicated and no longer a part of our iconic history. You are tuned in to Freedom of Species, animal advocacy on the airwaves. We are speaking with Lynette Sutton, the president of Hoofs 2010 Brumby Rescue. We've been chatting about the draft wild horse management plan for the Kosciuszko Brumbies. Lynette, what can we do in regards to this draft management plan now? Object, you know, support on the 2nd of August. Um, there's a protest at Parliament in Sydney. Object, go into your local member, you know, take the time, write a letter. It's passion for the animal to preserve them for the gifts that they gave us in settlement, in war, in all aspects. We need to have that connection that our, our soldiers had with them and our soldiers had with our country. And that was for freedom, you know, for just, for brighter future for all. And we brought the animals here with us. How long does it take before something is a native Australian? 200 years of evolving in a country and we're still not native. You know, I find that absolutely obscure that, you know, what makes us an Australian then if we're not native after 200 years? So, yeah, write letters, express how you feel, you know, ask for an inquiry into what's actually going on in the management in the national park. Get rid of the idea that, you know, oh, it's not my problem, it's not affecting my day. It is affecting your future and it will affect the future of your children and your grandchildren and their children and, and so on. It's our country and we, do, we need to take a stand for things that aren't right. As an advocate for the wild horses, the most important thing for us is to now stop that draft plan and enforce the government to come back and sit down at the table instead of being one-sided and actually hear what Brumby advocates are saying and consider some of the management plans, not only ours but other groups as well, have put in very sensible management plans that would see management start happening in the national park on an annual basis. That's what I uh, would love to see that. In an ideal fashion, Lynette, if you were in charge, what would you implement straight away? Straight away, I'd say, right, stop all, all eradication for the moment. Let's come back to the table. Let's look at science that's happening across the world. Let's bring in some scientific study so that we can look at the benefits and the negatives and we can address them, not as, you know, the Colong Foundation who want total eradication or the National Park or this group or that group, but let's actually sit and see how that we can all work together to have that sustainable environment. And I would then build the first working station on Long Plain where all those great big electrical towers are 
at the moment and I would start the first working station. That concludes our conversation with Lynette Sutton and also prior to that we heard from Jill Pickering, President of the Australian Brumby Alliance, on their frustrations with and objections to the Kosciuszko Snowy Brumby's management plan. So please, uh, Sydney Siders, Tuesday, August the 2nd, please stand up for the Snowy Brumbies uh, to decrease their population from 6,000 to 600 is inexcusable. It's not acceptable. So that is at Parliament House on Macquarie Street, Sydney. And as I understand, it's from a strange time, 9.40 a.m. Tuesday, August the 2nd. But please go to the Australian Brumby Alliance website or the Save Our Snowy Brumby Rally page for more details. And also get it together, guys. Don't just leave it to organisations to to put in your submissions for these things because Australian Brumby Alliance have made it quite easy. They've given you a guide on how you do put forward a submission. Uh, the submissions are due on August 19th. Please don't make that date be the literally the deadline for thousands the majority of our Kosciuszko snowy brumbies. You know, it literally means a lot will be exposed to such trauma. They will be ground shot or, you know, really a lot of them will be taken to an abattoir. I mean, that's just a a frightful thought. We really need to consider the positive aspects the brumby does in the environment as well. I'd also, will just mention the Australian Brumby Alliance has a lot of good, great fact sheets there as well on all the issues around the Brumbies because I know it can be quite a, a complicated issue. All right, well, that's enough from us. I have to make way for In Psychedelia. If you'd like to contact us, please do it in Freedom of Species via our Facebook page or Twitter. Thanks for tuning in. I'm going to leave you with a tune by Maslin Jones, Guy Evans and Nick called Spirit Moves. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.